Well, greetings again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our second Sunday to be online like this uh, with an actual video of our uh, message and our time together. And just like last week, I'd like to begin now uh, with a time of prayer. Let's pray. With your help, O oh Lord, we've made it through another week and stand at the brink of a brand new, and we thank you for seeing us through, and we thank you for the week that lies before us. We pray, O oh God, that you'd help us not to be consumed with fear and worry. We ask that you fill us instead with your joy, which strengthens us, and your peace, which surpasses all understanding. Mend broken hearts, we pray. Comfort those who mourn this day and miraculously heal all those who need it. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture lesson uh, at this time comes from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse and reading through the 23rd verses. So, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word at this time, we pray. What I want to do in this message is look with you at Jesus' first appearance to all his frightened disciples after the resurrection. If uh, you'll recall, last week we looked at his first appearance, which was to Mary Magdalene. And this time he's appealing to the eleven. And what I want us to see is, first of all, how the risen Jesus acted, and then what did the risen Jesus say? That first appearance to the disciples as a group happens, as we see here in John 20, 19 through 23. And first of all, I want us to just look in John 20, 19 and see how Jesus acts. On the morning, I'm sorry, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, here I want us to be looking at three facts of how Jesus deals with us today. Uh, and we can see this by looking at this first appearance to his, his, his first appearance at his disciples way back then. So this is the evening of the Sunday that he rose from the dead. 
That morning, Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, as we looked at last week, as I mentioned earlier. But now he appears to all the disciples at once. Now, I want you to notice three things. First of all, the doors are locked. Secondly, the disciples are in fear. And then third, Jesus comes to them and he stands in their midst. And those three facts tell us three things that we can know about how the risen Lord deals with us today. First of all, and this reminds us so much of the time that we're in now, the doors were locked. Jesus didn't even have to knock. Do you notice that? He didn't have to open the door. He simply was there. And it's made clear in the passage that he wasn't a ghost. Look at verse 20. He showed them his hands and his side. In another place, he says, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And so he has a physical body, but not exactly like ours. It's the same yet different. He was simply there in spite of those closed doors, which means that in your life today, in your life, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He can go where no counselor can go. He can reach you and reach into you anywhere and anytime. There's no place where you are and no depths of personhood that you are, which Jesus can't reach. Now, number one, the doors were locked. And then we read on in verse 19 that they were afraid. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And this is the passage that has haunted me all week. And especially this portion right here, the doors being locked for fear of the Jews. They were locked behind closed doors because of fear. Now, it's understandable their leader had just been crucified as a threat to Caesar, and their fear is totally understandable, and it's into that fear that Jesus comes. Now, I want to draw your attention to this because this is where I see a lot of people right now. At the beginning of this lockdown time, I saw people that were afraid of the virus. And then a little bit later on, I began to see a fear of financial difficulty and wondering if they could make it through. And now that there is a glimmer right now of a loosening of some of the constraints, I'm seeing a different kind of fear. I'm seeing fear that maybe the pandemic will get worse once things are loosened up. And at the same time, fear that we're going to see a tremendous financial crisis around the world. You see, we see one fear just stacking on top of another. And what Jesus is saying in this action is, I come to my own when they are afraid. I don't wait for them to get their act together. I don't wait for them to have enough faith to overcome fear. 
I come to help them to have enough faith to overcome fear. And I want to testify that after 45 years of being a Christian, this is true. It's still true today. The risen, living Jesus is still doing this. He comes when we cry out to him in fear. He comes when we cry out in desperation. He helps us. I've called to him a thousand times. Jesus, help me. In fact, uh, this is uh, an anniversary in a way. 45 years ago, last Sunday evening, the Easter of 1975, I was at a place where I wasn't sure. Well, I just come to realize that there was a God. And I realized that the reason why I couldn't sense his presence with me is because I had sinned mightily. And I realized that there was nothing I could do to take away that wall of separation that I had brought about on my own through my sin. And I realized that when I stood before the judgment throne of God, he wasn't going to ask me about what happened back in the Garden of Eden. I was going to be held accountable for the things that I had done. Me and nobody else, I couldn't blame any other thing, any other person. It was me. And I realized that I could not undo one thing that was wrong. I could not take back one bit of pain I'd inflicted on another person. I couldn't take back one lie I had ever told. I couldn't take back all the times that I had disappointed him. And all I could see was the fact that the only thing I could see after this life was eternity in hell. And in great despair, and realizing that somehow the cross, the church said, made a difference, but not knowing how to work that, how to do it, how to even pray, I just cried out, Jesus, help me. And in that moment, the risen Christ, through the presence of his Holy Spirit, entered into that room and he saved my soul, and he gave me a peace that passes all understanding. And let me tell you, he will do this for you too. If you receive him into your life for who he really is. Now, the next thing I want us to look at is the fact that Jesus comes to them and stands in the middle of them. Verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And the point here is that he came right into the middle of their meeting. He didn't come to the edge and call out through the wall and deal with them uh, like some distant deity. He wasn't playing games with them. He wasn't toying with their faith. He wanted them to see him and to know him, and believe in him, and to love him. And that's what he wants for you today. And, oh, brothers and sisters, that's what I want for you today. 
I want you to experience the living Jesus in your life today, to know him, to have him draw near into your life where no one else can go, to have him help you in your fear in the way that no one else can help you, and to have him come to you, close to you, not calling to you from a distance, but coming right where you are. And that's what I pray happens for you. If you are in fear, or if you're in despair, or if you're just at the end of your rope in some way, I tell you, he will come where you are. In doing these three things, Jesus gives us three things when he comes to us. And those three things are peace, power, and purpose. Now, I don't have enough time today to really go into power and purpose, but you see, peace comes first. It precedes everything else. And so that's what I want to focus on today. So what does he say? He says, peace be with you. Two times he says, peace be with you. Back on March the 11th, just as we were beginning to wake up to the seriousness of this pandemic here in the United States, I attended a Linton luncheon in Brookshire, Texas, and by next week that time, the quarantine had begun and church, churches began to suspend gathering for worship for a while. And I must say, I miss that. And I look forward to once again gathering together in our sanctuary at San Philip to worship in the presence of my Lord and with my brothers and sisters in Christ because there's just nothing like getting together with the family of God. But at that uh, afternoon, well, it was, a, it was an early afternoon. During his message that day, Reverend Phil Gross asked us a question, and he asked us to share our answer with the person next to us. Now, the question was, in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this threat of pandemic, what are you feeling? And I turned to the gentleman on my left and I asked him what his answer was. And it turned out to be exactly the same as mine. Peace. That's what we were feeling in the middle of all of this. And that's what we're still feeling in the midst of all this. And whenever we both just said, peace. We both just gritted each other for having found we were true brothers in Christ. And we shared for a while about how no matter what happened, we knew that everything was going to be all right. We knew that even this was accounted for in Scripture. So how about you? Are you at peace in the midst of this worldwide storm? That's what the Lord wants you to have right now. Just as he spoke to those disciples then. He speaks to you, and he says, peace be with you. Before Jesus says anything about power or purpose, 
He wants to establish peace. And the order here is really important because you see the peace that Jesus gives is before and underneath any of our empowered actions or any of our purposeful deeds. We don't initiate peace with Jesus by our actions. He initiates peace with us. The Apostle Paul explains it like this. He, speaking of Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This peace that Jesus offers the disciples is the peace that he accomplished when he died for them on the cross. And that's why in verse 20 it says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And he said, basically through his showing them this, I'm the one who died. I'm the one you abandoned. And I am the one who was pierced for your transgressions. And the reason I can offer you peace is because by my blood, I have covered all your sins. If you trust me, these things will not be held against you. The wrath of God is turned away. And that's what Paul meant when he said, Christ reconciled us both to God through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. All the hostility between God and us was absorbed on the cross. Here, look at my side and my hands. I made peace with these. Justice was satisfied with these. Peace between you and God and me was established with these. So there are five relationships where the crucified and risen Christ brings peace into your life. And if you don't have it, it's where he wants to bring peace into your life right now. First, peace between us and him. That's the first and the most obvious meaning. He's standing there among them, offering them himself as a friend and a helper, not a judge. And it's the same for you. Next, he offers peace between us and God. That's the, uh, so that God's justice and wrath could be satisfied. That's why God sent him. God makes peace with us by substituting his son's suffering for our penalty. And now he comes to us as a loving father. Next, peace between us and others who are in Christ. There's a great peace 
that is found between brothers and sisters in Christ. To be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to everyone who has been reconciled to God. There's no hostility vertically and there's no hostility horizontally. No racism, no ethnocentrism, no classism, no sexism. As it says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Next, peace between us and our own souls. The New Testament uh, letter to the Hebrews says, the blood of Christ will purify, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There's such a precious peace in having a clear conscience. Oh, I don't know how many people, but many, many labor under the misery of a defiled and guilty conscience. But let me tell you, if you are one of those who says, I can't forgive myself, here's what I say. And just hear this. That is what Good Friday's for. Peace with yourself doesn't mean that you start seeing past sins as desirable. It doesn't mean that you see them as okay. It doesn't mean they never happened. It doesn't mean they cease to be painful. It means they cease to be paralyzing. The pain may not be taken away immediately, but the penalty is taken away immediately through Christ, and that makes it possible to begin to heal and to move on with a hope-filled life while you do. Lastly, peace with the world. Yes, when Jesus died, he did what needed to be done so that someday, in God's time, all evil will be cast into outer darkness and the entire new creation will be full of peace and righteousness. Peace with Jesus. Peace with God the Father. Peace with others in Christ. Peace with ourselves. Peace in our heart and peace with the world. Now that was an amazing thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Now, how do you receive this peace? Everybody doesn't have it. It's a gift of God. We receive it or we walk away from it. A better way to say it would be we receive him or walk away from him because you see he is our peace if you have the risen living Christ as your savior and lord and treasure and friend you have the peace that he gives you have the peace that he is it says as I said last week to all who received him who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power 
or the authority to become children of God. And it says in Romans 5.1, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus offers you that. And I offer you that on his behalf at this time. It's free. And I hope that you will receive it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. All you can do is accept that what he did on the cross was for you and it was sufficient to buy your pardon from God. I hope you'll receive it. Having said all that, let me tell you this. You can lose that peace after once having had it. And maybe that's you at this time. It can happen to the best of us. It's happened to me from time to time. It even happened to David, the man described as a man after God's own heart. If you have your Bible there with you, turn to Psalm 42 so that we can learn from David what to do when you've lost your peace. That's Psalm 42 in your Bible, just right in the middle. Psalm 42, we're going to be beginning in just a minute with the first verse. But before I do that, though, I just uh, have to say there's a difference between fear and concern. Fear is one thing and concern is another. As Christians, we should be concerned right now as we're going through this, concerned, and we should be acting responsibly because of that concern but we shouldn't be living in fear. Let me show you how this works out. The other day, in the middle of this time of quarantine, a neighbor of ours from not too far away had a bored teenager who started looking around for something to do and wandered into their attic and started uh, just nosing around in the attic and he fell through the ceiling from the attic and he fell 12 feet, and he bruised himself up pretty badly. Now, out of concern for her son, this mama did everything she could to make sure he was all right. She called the uh, EMTs, and they came, and they checked him over. They said that he was going to be all right. He might be sore, but he's going to be okay. Now, you know she's going to continue to watch him in concern for a while. That's what a concerned mom does. But you see, that's not fear. That's concern. Fear paralyzes. It Fear terrorizes. Concern mobilizes you to do what's right and what's responsible. Now, that's what we need to be doing in these times. We need to listen to the officials and experts and cooperate with them to get us all through this. But you see, we shouldn't be doing it out of fear. We should be doing it out of concern and Christian responsibility, knowing that our Lord is by our side, and since we are his, he is going to get us through this. Now back to Psalm 42. David wrote this psalm while he was hiding out during rebellion, led by his son, Absalom. Now that in itself should have broken David's heart. Now, 
I'm sure it did. David wanted to go out and lead the troops, but his advisors said, no, that's not the best thing to do. Because you see, if you go out to fight, they're going to all be coming after you. You need to stay in a safe place so that you can reign after this is over. For the sake of the country, for the sake of everything, you need to quarantine yourself for a while, they said. And so reluctantly and with a heavy heart, he was basically quarantined in the mountains. And he did it, you see, because it was the best and the most responsible thing for him to do. He didn't do it out of fear. He was one of the bravest men and one of the toughest fighters that you'd come across. But he did it because it was the right thing to do. Now, I can identify with that right now, can't you? We can have peace in our hearts that the Lord's going to take care of us, but then we have responsibilities, and we need to make sure that we handle ourselves in a responsible way so that we don't harm others by exposing them to something, by exposing ourselves when we didn't have to. And so let's look at this. In the middle of quarantine, he pins these words, and they'll ring with your heart too, I know, brothers and sisters in Christ. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm stuck up here and I can't go to church. I can't gather with fellow believers and worship. And it grieves me to not do so. I long for that presence of God that comes from being with him in the sanctuary. And I don't have enough time to go through all the rest of it, but I'm going to just sum up. You can read the rest of it and you'll see what I'm talking about as you do. He tells us to do, basically, we learn some things to do. First of all, stop looking at your circumstances and listen to the voice of the enemy. The enemy was saying, where's your God? And, uh, the in, and he was listening to his enemy, and he was starting to go into despair. And so you'll see, see several times in Scripture when the Lord... Uh, uh, it just seems far from, from David. And what he does is he'll start talking to his soul. And he'll tell his soul to start seeking and looking for God. So basically, stop listening to your enemies. Stop looking at your circumstances and start seeking your God. Tell your soul to 
draw near to God and remind yourself of what it's like to draw near to Him. He uh, can sum it up. Uh, he says, when I look on God's countenance, when I look into the face of God, His face changes my face. Scripture says, if you draw near to the Lord, He'll draw near to you. And as you draw near to Him, it pleases Him. And His countenance, His face is turned towards you. And it pleases Him that you have called out to Him. It pleases Him that you are drawing near to Him. And it causes His countenance to shine upon you. And as his countenance shines upon you, your countenance will start to shine. As you do that, your fallen face will be lifted up. And as you are together with him, you'll find he brings you the same thing he brought those disciples locked away in fear. He brings peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.